Season one of this show is sponsored by FreshBooks, the number one invoicing software for freelancers and solopreneurs. If you're ready to take your side gig to the next level, you can't spend dozens of hours each week drafting invoices and chasing down late payments. With FreshBooks, you can send an invoice in less than 30 seconds. Plus, you can see when your client has opened their invoice and schedule automatic follow-up emails that trigger if they forget to pay. To try FreshBooks free for 30 days, visit freshbooks.com slash side gig and enter side gig in the how did you hear about us section. Later in this episode, you'll hear about one FreshBooks customer who uses it to scale their small creative business. So stay tuned for that. Hey everybody, this is Preston and you are listening to SideGig. We're three independent entrepreneurs who have built successful side businesses all while working our standard nine to five desk job. Your hosts are Ryan. Hi, I'm Ryan Robinson. I'm a content marketing consultant to the world's top experts and growing startups. I've helped companies like Creative Live and LinkedIn, experts like Tim Ferriss and Lewis Howes, grow their brands and create more influence online through content marketing. Ian. Hi, I'm Ian Paget, also known as Logo Geek. My website and blog generates hundreds of new leads each month. I've also leveraged social media to be seen as an influential designer, which has attracted exciting opportunities such as the judging of International Design Awards. My side gig has been so successful, I've now gone part-time freelance. And me, Preston. I took a blog I started as an experiment in college and turned it into a business that now makes more than I do at my desk job. In this episode, Ian and I get to ask our third co-host, Ryan, all sorts of questions about his entrepreneurial journey. You'll learn all about what Ryan has done and continues to do in order to keep his business growing. Let's jump right in. I'm Ryan Robinson. Right now, what I do is content marketing consulting. It's been sort of a long, arduous journey getting here. I started out doing content marketing basically right out of college in 2012. And um, I've been sort of jumping from different little startup to startup and um, building my skills at content marketing, writing, um, distribution, and building building cool networks with different people that I want to work with. And so I've had sort of this eventual gradual buildup to becoming a freelancer in the content marketing field just based on who I know and what I've been able to do both on the side in my free time and with my current employers. So it's it's been a really fun process. And now I just actually recently jumped over to freelancing full time. I had been doing it on the side for about three years as you said, Ian, I, I've done a good job of building up my income on the side before I quit. That way I sort of mitigated um, my risk and it's been a fun journey. Ryan, I understand that you built a uh, product when you first started out. Could you just talk, talk through that journey? Yeah, absolutely. So my, my very first business was actually back when I was in college. I invented this product called the iStash. I was, I think, 19 at the time. It was a very, very silly idea. I had this hunch that I could sneak things into concerts and music festivals um, that security guards might not exactly <laughs> love. Things. By having, yeah. <laughs> by having a device that looked a lot like an iPhone. <laughs> that's a cool sounds idea. Sounds like a smart idea. Yeah. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> you're you're like building it up as if something went wrong. So I'm excited <laughs> to hear the rest of this story. <laughs> Most things went wrong with that one. Although in the end, I ended up losing 
you know, all in all, somewhere between six and seven thousand dollars. It wasn't a huge (laughs) hit. I was able to build some hand prototypes of what an iPhone stash device would look like. Sold 10 to 20 of them to, you know, friends and different acquaintances at college. Again, you know, putting yourself in the frame of reference. I went to school in Orange County, California, and we went to tons of music festivals like um, Coachella and outside lands. And that was very much of the scene at the time. So I was in business school. I had, I had known sort of this, this concept of, you know, build a minimum viable product. So I built a bunch of hand prototypes, sort of validated my market from my opinion, you know, looking back at it, I obviously didn't do a very good job of it. I did get to a point where I outsourced my manufacturing to China. Um, I ended up selling about 7,000 of these eye stashes over the course of the next couple of years while I was in school, a couple thousand actually went over to Amsterdam where they went to coffee shops. So it was a moderate success, but I learned a lot about just how much scale it takes to actually make money with especially physical product businesses where you're investing a lot in, you know, production, inventory, shipping, things like that. So that was my first crash course. Yeah, and it's interesting. I I thought last episode when we talked about physical product, I actually thought this was a story you were going to share. Um and then you ended up you you started yet another physical product um business, right? Doing iPhone cases that weren't meant to stash uh quote unquote things. <laughs> yeah, the uh, printing. Was, I that, remember. was that before or after this one, Ryan? That was after. So yeah, Case Escape okay. was more recent. Okay, so so let's rewind even further back. Before before you did um iPhone cases before you did fake iPhones. How, how did you know, like how early on in your life did you know you were an entrepreneur or you sort of had entrepreneurial tendencies? That's a great question. I would say that I didn't really specifically identify the entrepreneurial bug, I guess you could call it until I was in college. Both of my parents did own their own businesses pretty much my entire life. And so interesting. I had been very, very in tune with and, you know, helping out their business since I was a kid. Um, My summer job was actually pouring concrete with my dad in his construction company. So tough work, man. Oh, man. He taught me a lot about hard work. (laughs) Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I've I've had sort of this ongoing um, history of learning the definition of hard work firsthand, but I really didn't get the entrepreneurial kick until I actually felt sort of a necessity to become successful on my own when I was in college. I started college in 2008 and it was, it was right after um, sort of the most recent financial crisis, you could say in the U S and so not that I, you know, I wasn't in bad shape financially at the time, but a lot of people around me were, and you know, different, different factors were contributing to, you know, my parents' businesses shrinking. And so I got to see sort of this, this, Oh crap happening around in my communities as I was starting college. And I was, I was really taking to heart that I didn't want to ever have to worry about money again in the future. So that's sort of what started me down the path of, you know, wanting to be in control of my own destiny and sort of like supply myself, not have to rely on a job. That's really interesting because some people might've seen their parents' businesses decline and and thought to themselves, I'm going to get a job. I'm going to just work till I'm 65, and that's going to be the stability. Why do you think you were sort of pushed the other direction? I mean, you look. This is the whole point of the show is that you did have a nine to five, right? And you built a side business at the same time. So obviously, you saw some value in that. But why do you think you held on to that entrepreneurial spirit? 
Yeah, so that's a great question. My my goal all along has been to be my own employer. And so I've had little different testing points where I've made that jump to employing myself full time, which which I am again now. Um, yeah. But yeah, what what really motivated me to go down that direction was like just this insane, compelling feeling that I want to be in control of my own destiny. And I just don't feel that having a job is the route to achieving that nowadays. I think I think most people at least our age would would tend to agree with sort of that feeling of you know wanting to to be the one that's in control and I think with with a bunch of the different instabilities that are going on in tons of different industries there's sort of an overwhelming feeling of people wanting to have a safety net of their own yeah and especially because now you can do that kind of thing in our parents day or our grandparents day especially it was kind of like you didn't really have another option but with the internet it's just opened up so many possibilities I love, um, so Chris Gillibo is one of my favorite authors. If you're not familiar mm-hmm. with him, he wrote The Art of Nonconformity, which is a life-changing book. He wrote a book called The $100 Startup, which is great if you're into business and small business especially. And um, we'll put a link to that book in the show notes. But uh, Chris has always said, uh, you know, we, we find this false sense of security in having a job. And he's like, actually not having a job in some ways is more secure, right? You're not going to walk in one day and like fire yourself or downsize yourself mm-hmm. randomly just because the numbers don't work out, you will probably see it coming if your business is going to fail. Whereas, you know, if, if you're depending on a boss or a, or a corporation or whatever to, for your, for your paycheck week to week, that could end at any minute. It could just completely go away without any notice. And so I just, I think it's interesting that you sort of took this approach of like, well, real job security and real owning your destiny means you're going to be an entrepreneur. Okay. So you did the iStash and then you did the iPhone case printing, which what's that company called? Yeah, that was called Case Escape. And then between those two, um, I sort of had my first foray into digital products and freelancing. Okay, so up to this point, you haven't had a nine to five job. I mean, you worked maybe with or for your parents, but you haven't had like a typical out of college desk job still or have you? I had. Yeah. So basically um, the iStash, you could say, sort of wound itself down in about 2012 when I graduated from college. Okay. Um, and yeah, that was when I, I got my first job actually with a company that was on Shark Tank. Oh, nice. What yeah, company was that? That was fun. They were called Orig Audio, O-R-I-G Audio. And they made little portable speaker devices. They got, um, gosh, I think it was in 2011, maybe they got Time's top invention of the year. They were or in the top 50 rather. Nice. And Very yeah, cool. it was interesting. They had a kind of a gimmicky little speaker product that if you stuck it on a cardboard box. It would send out a bunch of vibrations and turn that box into a speaker. Oh, oh, right. Was, was, was that working in content marketing or was you actually working on the product itself? Cause I, I understand from like your, your early days, it was actually kind of almost hands on making products, not doing online marketing. Yeah, that was my first shift to doing marketing. So I did study marketing in college. Um, it was a huge component of my business degree. So I knew I wanted to at least build my marketing skills. And so this was kind of a, gosh, this was like 10 people at the time when I joined this little startup. So it was an opportunity to actually do both marketing and help them out with sort of the product development and sales cycle. It was, it was kind of the whole shebang. I was, I was working on a lot of different parts of the business, but it was majority marketing. Sure. Nice. Sounds cool. That sounds very cool. I'm curious, you know, for someone who's interested in entrepreneurship, 
we talked a couple episodes or maybe last episode about the difference between side gigging and building up something versus just like jumping in 100% without any sort of safety net or anything like that. I'm curious. I've heard a lot of people say, if you're interested in entrepreneurship, go find a startup or a small group, small team you can work with and just learn like click crazy from them. I mean, would you agree with that advice or, or what do you think about your experience there? Yeah. So based on my own unique experiences, I would agree with that with one sort of caveat. So okay, I've always learned the most from working on small teams, but the people you're working with have to be very experienced in the industry if you hope to actually learn from them. So oh, interesting. I mean, you could you could join a small team of people that are, you know, striking out on their own for their first time and, you know, they could they could fail very, very quickly and you might not learn that much. But if you're working with people that, you know, you respect, admire or sort of see your envision yourself following in their footsteps in terms of experience, then that's where I've always learned the most. So I understand that, um, you know, as as a freelancer now, you're working on content marketing. Um from your first job, how much did you actually learn from that? I mean, uh, the, the skills that you are using in your um, side gig, was that from um, your university skills or, or from that initial job? Or have you been learning on, on the side? Yeah, my, so my writing abilities, um, I've, I've really been honing myself. Um, you, at my first job, I did do a little bit of blog writing, although... It wasn't really what I would call content marketing. It was, it was okay. definitely before content marketing was was a buzzword. Um, but when I did transition into my second job out of school, um, it was writing a, essentially an article a day. And I did that for a little less than a year. So that was when I started to really develop my writing. But um, it was on a different topic. It was it was for this company that was in you know somewhat of the fashion industry, actually. They did... They did a lot of, um, the, I think the word for it is trims. Um, they supplied a bunch of the little like buttons and zippers and stitching for um, all the world's top manufacturers. So I was writing things a lot of, along the lines of news jacking. So like if something big happened with Nike in the news, I would write, you know, something like 10 lessons you can learn from Nike's biggest fumble. Um, oh, I got it. Mm-hmm. And so that was sort of my first hands-on experience with um, experimenting on how I could write content that would get picked up by search engines and do well on social. And it was all sort of in the very early days of when publishers were getting serious about using things like Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. And this is what we talked about in episode one, which we'll link up in the show notes, but this is the like learning on the job so that you're building your skill set that you can eventually parlay into a side gig or a side gig or a full-time gig, like your own business. Um, so, so it sounds like you had, I guess those two jobs that you've already discussed. And then did you make it to creative live? Because that's where I know you from Ryan is working at creative live. Yeah, there was a little gap period where, um, that's when case escape came into play. So, okay. Got it. Mm. Transitioned into case escape, um, with one of my, one of my best friends from college, actually, when we lived together at the time. Um, and so that was a, a really unique experience starting a business with my best friend. Um, if you just Googled, uh, start a business with your friend, I think I have a post that that should be right at number one. Um, <laughs> but I chronicle an insane amount of detail of what I learned starting a business with one of my best friends. And so that was, that was a great experience. You know, I, I learned more from that than than probably any business 
that I've started to date. Interesting. So you, you sort of took this little break to, you actually made the leap from day job to business right. with your friend. And um, by the way, just in case something changes in the future, we will link up that article in the show notes, but I'm sure it'll be at number one, Ryan. And uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll be sure to link it up just in case. But um, so you take this little foray into, into business, you mm-hmm. do case escape. You said that business is still making money today, right? Correct. Yep. And I've then, now uh, removed then, myself from it. And uh, my friend okay. Matt is actually doing it full time himself. Okay. And you're just like a part owner or something. Actually, I don't own any of it anymore. Um, that's a, that's a fun story in and of itself. Um, <laughs> we, we didn't have any disagreements, which was nice. Although, um, when, when we jumped into working on this business full time, uh, we didn't quite think through how much cash flow the business needed in order to pay ourselves, um, a living wage. Got so, it. Mm. you know, fast forward three or four months from when we both started working full time on case escape, um, we both had to move home into our parents' houses. Yeah. Um, he on one side of the country in Philadelphia and me back in, uh, where I'm from near Fresno, California. So, so, so this is maybe a conversation for another day, but I mean, sure. I think that's a common, that's probably a common concern issue is like, and we've talked about this off the air. How much do you need to actually run your business, but then also pay yourself uh, a living wage, like you said, right? And, and sometimes we we underestimate what that's actually going to cost before we make the leap from our desk job to, you know, turning our side gig full time. Oh, totally. So it sounds like you you maybe made the leap, you gave it a shot. It it didn't work out necessarily, but you learned a lot. And then and then that's when you step into Creative Live. I moved to San Francisco, um, and I was still working on Case Escape, and that turned into my side business as I took a job at a company before Creative Live, and that was that was called okay. Pop Expert, and it was um, it was in online education. They've since gone defunct, which you know a story for another time. But anyway, that was sort of my first real tough learning experience with um, working at small startups. Some of them can just sort of go belly up overnight, and you don't really see it coming. Mm. Um, yeah. So that startup sort of got me really, really honed in on wanting to be in online education myself. And so creative live was a natural next step from there. Oh, that's awesome. And that explains why you're, I mean, I mean, you have some great educational resources on your website at rybob.com. Um, you have some nice courses and they're very well executed I've noticed. And so that makes sense. You, I mean, you have a background, not only at creative live, but at at, um, pop expert as well on sort of teaching online, right? Yeah, I've gotten to see a lot of different teachers um, picking up different styles and, you know, everything from how how curriculum is mapped out to, you know, what people are actually consuming and engaging with. So, like, I've I've seen the format of online courses that are just videos um, where you do nothing but sort of click through and watch someone do something. Personally, I don't think anyone learns anything from those. I, I learn from doing so. I've, I've taken an approach where my courses ask someone to take like a really serious action every time they go through a new lesson. So there's, there's been a lot of learnings in terms of what's most engaging in terms of on- online courses. Up until recently, you've been doing everything as a side project. How have you been able to fit that around a day job? Oh, man. This is the <laughs> subject of an entire course. Absolutely. <laughs> 
the cliff notes of what I think the, the most core principle of operating a side business is really taking a hard look at how you're spending your time outside of your day job. So you have, you know, these, these 40 to 50 fixed hours that you need to be in the office working for someone else. Yeah, true. Um, but God, there's 168 hours in a week. So what are you doing with the rest of your time? And I, I take a really like rigorous approach to teaching people how to, you know, evaluate where all their time is going and then sort of prioritize where they're spending time so that they can then sort of fill up a bunch of blocks of time where they'll be able to work on a side business either before or after their day jobs. And me personally, okay. I've, I've chosen to go the route of the super early morning man. I, I wake up at about 4.15 still a few days a week to get in some of uh, wow. my best creative <laughs> time. Yeah. That's excellent. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of John Acuff, and he wrote a book called Start, and it's sort of a, it's a motivational book on, like, if you haven't started, whatever it is you want to do, in our case, build a business, here's how to sort of motivate yourself to do it. And he said, he, he tells this story of one time at Christmas, he, um, you know, his kids were playing with the new toys, his wife was doing something, and he decided, I'm going to go, you know, work on my business, because I enjoy that kind of thing. And, and so he went to do it, and eventually his wife got upset. I hope I'm remembering the story right. But, um, and he realized that uh, he had to find time in the day when people wouldn't get upset that he was taking that time away. So this is especially important for mm-hmm. like people with families or, or loved ones or, or a boss or, you know, anyone who sort of demands time from you. And his solution was, I get up at five in the morning, every morning, and I work on the things that I want to work on because no one is getting up at five with me going like, please spend time with me. <laughs> and, uh, why aren't you spending time with me? So so that was his solution. And I love to hear that you're doing the same thing. I, I did that for a little while as well. I need to get back into it, to be completely honest with you. Um, I've got three kids. And so waking up at five only gets me about an hour extra, but I can't seem to wake up much more earlier than that. Yeah, I know um, in my case, I end up working really late. So um, I can't imagine possibly waking up at 4 a.m. Um, but uh, I mean, what, what time do you normally go to bed, Ryan? Do you actually get enough sleep if you, if you work at 4.30? Oh, yeah. So <laughs> I've... You know, I've I've had a lot of different testing into finding what what my sleep hours are. Um, okay, I know that I I need between six and a half and seven and a half. Um, so yeah, on on the days when I'm waking up at four fifteen in the morning, the night before I gotta go to bed by like nine thirty. Otherwise, my next day is gonna be ruined. Um, so there there will be times when I mean it doesn't work out, but I just gotta reschedule for a different day. So I have sort of this target of of getting up super early at least three days a week. Um, and that buys me about three hours a day when I do that. So I, I try and get at least three hour blocks of time when I'm working on a side business. Okay. That way I'm able to sort of get into a flow with something. Yeah. So how do you yeah. go about planning that? Do you have some kind of um, calendar up on the wall that you're working towards? Uh, are you literally just... Um, Doing it from memory, almost just like setting your alarm clock in the morning and, uh, you know, you just have a routine. Because um, I've, I've found, um, you know, from my perspective, one really important thing with, with a side gig is literally a routine so that you just you just keep doing this type of thing. Oh, yeah. You definitely have to have a plan. Part of my course is actually coming up with your side business schedules. Like I, I have people physically print out what their weekly schedule is. That way they can take a look at, okay, you know, these are the days I'm getting up super early or these are the days I'm getting up late or, you know, finding where that block of time is. So 
personally, I use Google Calendar just to sort of block off things in advance and know like, okay, this week it's, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'm getting up early. This is so golden because, you know, as I talk to people who are like, oh man, you're, you're doing a business on the side. That's really cool. They, they want to do it themselves. What they, what they don't see is a, it's not all glamorous, right? Like you're waking up at four in the morning or four 30 in the morning while everyone else is sleeping to get extra work done. But also, uh, you've, the, the second I think takeaway is like, regardless of whether you wake up early in the morning or stay up late at night or whatever, or, or do something on your lunch break, it doesn't matter. Uh, it, but you need to schedule the time to do it or you'll never do it. You'll find right. other things to fill your time with. That's, that's why a lot of people don't start a business on the side is because they quote unquote, don't have time. Mm-hmm. Um, when in reality, they're just not making time for it. Yeah. And I'm always very, very upfront with everyone I talk to, you know, anyone who's considering joining a course, I'm like, listen, this is definitely going to suck and it's definitely going to be hard, but how much are you willing to sacrifice in order to give yourself the lifestyle that you want in the future? So you got to find like that, that motivation, that drive. And so, yeah, that's, that's also a huge part of my course is aligning yourself with your purpose so that it's something that you are excited to get up early about, or you are excited to stay up late and work on. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I'd say like, you have to set your priorities. You have to want it more than anything else. Mm-hmm. You, you can't let, except maybe family or God, you know, depending on how you set priorities in life, you have to want it more than anything else. You, you almost have to want it more than keeping your day job. You have to for sure want it more than like being on the bowling team or being on the tennis team, or you have to want it more than watching your favorite Netflix show or whatever it might be. And there's so much that can take you away from building your side gig. Um, it's so easy to get distracted and you have to just want it more than anything else. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, Ryan, so what's, what's your current situation? So you worked at creative live for a little while. How long were you there? I was at creative live for almost two years. Okay. And that's where you and I met, uh, meaning I didn't work there, but we interacted there. And, and then you just recently left creative live, right? Yeah, back in, let's see, the end of July, 2016. Season one of SideGig is sponsored by FreshBooks. Lots of our readers and listeners use FreshBooks every day to manage their SideGig or growing business. I talked with Karina from VividShift.com. I use FreshBooks all the time and love it, she told me. What I like best is the ability to visually see my profit over time and how easy it is to create recurring invoices. It's incredibly simple to use while still having all the features I need. To join Karina and try FreshBooks free for 30 days, visit freshbooks.com slash sidegig and enter sidegig in the how did you hear about us section. Support for sidegig also comes from Bluehost. With a one-click WordPress install, 24-7 customer support, and a money-back guarantee, Bluehost has just what you need to rest easy. When you only have a few hours each week to grow your side hustle, you don't have time for your site to go down. With Bluehost, you won't have to worry about that. Learn more and get a special discount when you visit sidegigshow.com slash bluehost. That's sidegigshow.com slash bluehost. And now, enjoy the rest of today's episode of Sidegig. What's your situation now? So I left um, Creative Live with a big freelance contract already in the bag. So that would that had been my plan for a very long time. And it's a core component of everything and all my content. I'm like, do not quit your job until you have your plan 
for replacing your income or at least replacing what you need to afford your expenses before you quit your day job. Maybe more than a plan, even like already something in place that's recurring income that you can count on. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, I've, I've had, um, I had this, uh, contract gig with LinkedIn already lined up to do some content marketing consulting for them, um, for about 15, 20 minutes a week. And that alone has actually almost doubled my income and given me less than half the amount of work in a week. So wow, that's awesome. That's the ideal scenario. I understand that you've only recently just taken that leap. And um, up until now, you've been doing, you know, incredibly well. Can I just ask, what was it that that triggered that jump from, you know, having a a full-time job and lots of different side projects to taking that leap to actually doing it full-time? That's a great question. Yeah, I mean, well, for me, a huge component of that is knowing that I had my money situation squared away. I... I didn't love the idea of taking the leap without, you know, well, taking the leap and having to rely on savings. So when I got this LinkedIn contract, I knew the stars were aligned. That sort of pushed me over mm-hmm. the threshold of, of, okay, now I have way more than, you know, what my day job was paying me in income flowing in. So yeah, you're right. I, I had a bunch of different little smaller freelance gigs going on at the time that, that got me up to a really healthy side income, but it wasn't enough to make the jump. And so this LinkedIn contract was sort of the tipping point for me. And so maybe we can, maybe we can take another episode in an, in another time and talk about how you landed that gig. But I mean, that, that's a big deal. You, mm-hmm. you landed a huge contract that, so do they, do they pay you like on a monthly basis? Was it a lump sum when you first started or, or how does that work out? Yeah, theirs is a monthly retainer. So I okay. essentially just, you know, calculated what my, my time involvement would be per week based on a, a preset amount of deliverables. Um, and then just tally that up um, based on hourly rate. So yeah, yeah, that would, that would actually be fun to cover in full detail. Cause it's kind of a crazy story. They, they actually ended up reaching out to me. Wow. That's which is wild. That, Never thought that, that would happen. That is crazy. That's fantastic. And what a great, what a great company too. And also, you know, we've talked about in previous episodes and a little bit in this one, like taking what you're learning at your day job, and using it to your advantage in your side gig. And you're sort of doing that now. I mean, obviously LinkedIn isn't your day job. It's part of your freelance gig, but, but you're correct me if I'm wrong. You're, you're studying the very people that you're targeting in the rest, the other half of your business at LinkedIn. So you're getting all of this insight into freelancers and people who are interested in building a side gig and that kind of thing. Right. Right. That's been particularly interesting. So I'm working specifically with LinkedIn's ProFinder team. Um, it's a relatively small team, when you think of LinkedIn, um, it's more like 30 people that are working on this freelance marketplace. So something that's that's similar to Upwork, except their whole mantra is, you know, we're the destination for the top 5% of freelancers. Um, Very cool. So it's been great. We, we have access to an insane amount of data around um, people who are doing side gigs and, you know, which industries people are making the most money with side gigs. It's really fascinating stuff. So I'm working with them to help tell the story that all this data is giving us and roll out that content over the next few months. That's very cool. So you're, so that's sort of the half of your life right now is LinkedIn or maybe more Mm -hmm. than half. I'm not sure. Uh, And then what's the, what's the remainder of your business right now? Yeah. So LinkedIn, I would call about a third of my life. Um, And then the other two thirds is ryrob.com. So 
Um, I'm, I'm focusing on rolling out my flagship course, which is around starting a side business, um, launching in November. I've had a couple very like rudimentary versions of it over this past year that I've sort of just been using to send around to my most active community members and get feedback on. Um, so that's also been something that sort of led me to this belief that yes, video content's great. You know, the creative live experience is very, very good, but at the same time, if you don't have, you know, activities, challenges, quizzes that get people actually working on their business while they're going through this course, it's not very meaningful. So I'm building this really intense experience that when you go through the course, you're actually building a business. So it's very time consuming. Yeah, that sounds great, though. And and if you're listening to this episode after November-ish of 2016, then we will for sure have a link in the show notes um, to that course uh otherwise i mean is there a place people can check it out now if they're listening before november is there like a like a notify me when it's available kind of place they can check it out i do yeah i have a waiting list open um we'll throw that into the show notes great perfect i think that sounds great i'm gonna i'm gonna look at it personally myself too i'm sure it'll be wonderful yeah me too (laughs) ryan i i noticed that on your website that you've been featured in um places like forbes entrepreneur business insider you know pretty high profile websites. Could you talk about how you actually went about um, finding those opportunities? Yeah, definitely. This is actually probably my, my favorite personal story over the past couple of years. Um, All of that originally started with um, getting featured on Inc. And the way that I got featured on Inc. was such a mind blowing experience. I still cannot even believe it. Um, is true. Um, Back when I was in college, when I was starting to sort of feel like I wanted to get into writing, um, I had reached out to this contributing editor at Inc. His name was uh, Jeff Hayden. Um, I had, I had seen a lot of his content. He's been working for them for a very long time. Um, And I, I had reached out to him, just found his personal email address on his website and asked him, you know, the, the dumbest question, Hey, how do I get featured on Inc? Or how do I write for Inc? <laughs> um, and he was actually kind enough to entertain me. So he uh, he took the time to write me back, and he gave me a really thoughtful email. And it was the advice was sort of like, you know, write the content that you want to get published on Inc, but start publishing it on your own website and build up your own you know credibility and your name as a business writer. And so nice. that's when that all started. And and um, I eventually, while I was working at Creative Live, is about two and a half years ago now, um, I got the opportunity to guest post on the Buffer blog. Buffer's a social media marketing tool. Wow. Um, and they're really highly regarded for, for in-depth content. So um, I, I really brought it all to the table on that guest post. And then um, they happened to have an outstanding uh, standing relationship rather with Jeff Hayden, who works at Inc. And so he happened to republish that post from Buffer all on his own accord. And so I I saw that happen. Then I reached back out to him. We made the connection, had a good laugh. And that was sort of the (laughs) platform by which I continued writing for Jeff at Inc. And then I was able to just use the fact that I'd been on Inc. to leverage around to different publications. And so it was kind of the the story of once the first domino falls, 
as long as you thoughtfully position yourself after that, you can you can make a lot of things happen. I think you made a really good point then about actually um, kind of networking, uh, you know, making friends with the right people, essentially. And I mean, I, I found that myself, if you just put yourself out there, you know, ask ask people um, questions, you generally get those opportunities. So that's uh, really exciting to hear. And I think, too, the lesson you can take away from this is, um, you know, if you're working hard, then it's a lot easier to reach out to people. You know, he said, write the kinds of things you want to have published on Inc. Right. Be writing those already. It, it's really hard. You know, people reach out to me all the time and say, can I be on here? Can I can you help me do this? Can you connect me with so and so? And they don't have any work that I can even point to or look to to even see if they're, you know, I'm not going to recommend somebody that I don't know what their work ethic is or what their work mm-hmm. looks like or that kind of thing. And so I think you have to be doing, and it's hard, right? I mean, you have to be doing a lot so that when you, when that moment comes for that domino to fall, you're right. You've set up a whole chain of dominoes that really play to your favor. So I think that's a great lesson. Thanks for sharing that, Ryan. Right. And that learning experience has definitely manifested itself through everything I do. So even as a content marketer, whenever I'm reaching out to whether it's ask, asking, you know, an influencer for a quote or asking some brand to share on their social channel or um, contacting a publication about writing for them, like I'm bringing so much value to the table already when I reach out to them that it's a no brainer for me to work with them. So, you know, whether that comes in the form of having already linked to them from this great post that they would want to associate themselves with or, you know, giving them exposure and some, you know, something like on my own personal blog, whatever you can do to sort of bring value to the table with you, as you were saying, Preston, like, you know, whether it's having some sample portfolio pieces where, where people can refer back to if they want to guest post on your blog, bring some sort of value to the table before you ask for something in return. Yeah, and I think you know some practical application before we before we hit record here. I got an email from you, Ryan, saying I guest posted this uh, article on. Um, oh, the one today that was on LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah. So you send an email to me saying I I wrote this article on LinkedIn and I linked back to your site, and you have no idea like how uh, indebted now I feel to you. And it's not the first time you've done that for me and linked back to my website from a larger site. Um, you've had me featured on places. I mean, it's the practical application. Like this guy knows what he's talking about and he also does it really well. And I feel indebted to you, Ryan. And that's part of why I invited you to be on this podcast. It's part of why we've partnered on other things. Like you, you do bring in an insane amount of value to a relationship. And I think that's a key takeaway for networking is, are you, you know, do your best to bring more value to the other person than they bring to you? Because then, and I can speak from experience. Now I feel like this, uh, this obligation, not, not a bad obligation, just an obligation now to bring as much value as I can to you, Ryan, for example. Well, thank you. First of all, you're too yes. kind, but yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. And, and I learned that from other people. So I think the more you interact with people who, who bring you value, the more you want to reciprocate that. So it, it does build positive relationships over time. And I've seen that too. It, it can be so easy to say, well, he's my competitor or he's in a similar space as me or he's a similar size. His blog is the same size as mine. I don't want to give him the upper hand. But man, like it really comes back to you, whether it, whatever you call it, but the karma comes back to you if, if you add value to other people. Right. And, you know, you could, you could be the one looking at um, different bloggers in your space, thinking of them as competitors and not working with them, but someone else is going to reach out to them and build a 
strong relationship with them while you're, you know, crossing your arms in the corner. Um, so you might as well be the one that actually builds a bridge and you really have no idea where that could go. And that's right. in my experience, the, the positive effects have just compounded over time. Yeah. I've never helped out someone who maybe I saw as a competitor or someone in the same industry or field and regretted it later. I've never been like, Oh man, they got the upper I hand. I totally on that agree with that as well. I've had exactly the same experiences. Like, um, I mean, one thing that I've tried to do is work with as many people as I can in my own niche. You know, they are um, essentially competitors, but at the end of the day, um, you know, if you can work together, you can create content together. You can actually do a lot more with other people and um, reach a, a, you know, a wider audience and essentially grow your business faster. Right. And I mean, hey, in the short term, who cares if, if they benefit more from the relationship? Because, gosh, over the long term, you know, the course of 10, 20, 30 plus years that you could potentially be in business for, you have no idea how how things could shake down. So it, it's better it's better to provide value than to you know cross your arms in the corner. Absolutely. I mean, there's a reason that uh, you know teens and twenty early twenty somethings are the ones who won't collaborate and won't share and are stubborn and crossing their arms. And the and the forty, fifty, sixty somethings are the ones that are networking and collaborating and and being gracious with their time and their resources and. Yeah, I I think we've we've driven that point home for sure. That's a that's a huge takeaway from this episode. So thank you for sharing. Is there anything else we left out, uh, Ryan, that you wanted to chat about? Gosh, I think that's great for this one. Um, I All would right. love to share more. I'll, I'll pop in with fun stories as they happen. As always, thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please take a second to give us an honest rating and review on iTunes. You can find a link to the show on iTunes at sidegigshow.com You can also subscribe for updates, announcements, and new episodes by visiting sidegigshow.com We'll also be doing a series of Q&A episodes all about building a successful side business. If you want your question answered on the air, visit sidegigshow.com If you enjoyed the show, take a second and head over to sidegigshow.com and share with your friends. Show notes for this episode can be found at sidegigshow.com slash Ryan. Hey everyone, Ryan here with a quick announcement. My brand new course, The Launch Formula, is now open for enrollment. It's designed to guide you through the process of starting and growing a profitable side business while you keep your day job. You can learn more about it on my website at ryrob.com slash launch. That's R-Y-R-O-B dot com slash launch.